Welcome to the talk show for talkers from irishtalkers.com. Welcome to part four of the talk show for talkers here on irishtalkers.com. And uh, now I'm going to hand the gavel back to myself because uh, I'm going to introduce this next segment. And today I want to talk about myths about presenting and how to overcome them. And this is prompted by an article in theentrepreneur.com by a guest writer by the name of Sean Doyle, who's uh, president at New Light Learning and Development, Inc. And I'll put a link to the article on our website so that you can follow up. Now, he, he describes five myths, and they're all really good things that we can talk about. Myth number one. And this is one very dear to my heart. I must use a lectern and stand behind it. Does that ring bells with you? It certainly did with me because when I started out in Toastmasters, first of all, I was reading my speech and I had to have something to put my notes on. And of course, the lectern was a very useful thing. Secondly, I was hiding behind it because I didn't want people to see me how nervous I was. <clears throat> and it gave me something to lean on and get support from. All of which do one thing. They disconnect you from the audience. The lectern becomes a barrier between yourself and your audience. And the reasons why people want to stand behind is because they think it's where they're supposed to stand. It's where they feel comfortable. And that's where their notes are for me a vote and that's where the microphone located if that's you know if a microphone is if you're being mic'd. but it, uh, it's where the audience could see me well actually that last one is is a miss <laughs> anyway because the audience can't see you the audience can only see probably your head and shoulders and they're missing 80 or 90 percent of your body language and as we know body language is a huge part of our connection and our understanding, the way we, we communicate with people. So yeah, don't stand behind the lecture. And in fact, I always say to my Toastmasters, not only do not stand behind, but you actually physically move the lectern out of the way at the beginning of your speech, which is a sort of demonstration of saying, yeah, I don't need that. I don't want that to get in the way between me and you. So that is myth number one. Myth number two. <laughs> I love this one. I must use PowerPoint. There's a very interesting statistic here. According to research reported on the pollEverywhere.blog, there are more than 35 million PowerPoint presentations made each day. Doesn't that blow your mind? That is absolutely mind-boggling. Everybody uses PowerPoint. Well, I don't. I use, because I'm an Apple head, I use uh, Apple's version, which is called Keynote. Yes, I, one little thing, Myros. Poor old PowerPoint is, the, is everybody kind of has a jibe at PowerPoint, and then they say things, well, I don't use PowerPoint, and then they say I use Trello or I use something else. Well, I think the issue here is not 
never don't use PowerPoint. Or <clears throat> the issue is, first of all, you don't have to use PowerPoint. This is possibly directed more to business presentations where they do feel that they're, they're presenting facts and they have to present these facts on screen. When really, it's much better to present facts on paper so that people can refer to them when they want to, they can read them, they can take them away, they don't have to remember. And all the, the slides should be doing is acting as a prompt, as an aid memoir. And the best advice that I was ever given about PowerPoint is this. Use as few words as possible on your slide. And secondly, use pictures wherever possible. Why? Because people remember pictures, especially if they're visual type people. And I think more people are visual than would be uh, readers in that context. But it's so much easier to relate something that's said to a picture in front of you. All right, next one. Number three, I must start my presentation with a joke. We hear this a lot, don't we? Well, we, we, hear, do. we hear it saying it's a good thing. I, I, must is a pejorative word. We are told, yeah, it's a great, a great way to start your speech is with a joke. Well, possibly is my answer to that. But... What this chap says is that you don't know if your joke is going to fall flat. If your joke falls flat, you've lost your audience right from the beginning, and you are then in dead trouble from then onwards. If you want to warm your audience up, tell them a story uh, which may be entertaining or it may be amusing but don't necessarily try to make it a joke the other risk of a joke is that you might also offend someone he says i'm not sure how much i go along with that because we do try to make jokes and certainly humor is an important part of good speech making but it's not an essential part it's just something that helps a speech. Uh, Moira, yep. in, relation to, in relation to that thing about offending people, yes. well, if that person's main experience of jokes is the you know, carry on up the Khyber and carry on doctor and carry on nurse and Kenneth Horn and all of those kind of jokes, those kind of smutty, salacious ones, I'm not surprised he has said. Well, yeah, I think he... He's, I suppose he's taking the, the sort of the joke meaning the stand-up comedy type joke as opposed to the humorous story. Now, you see, I, I'm not a jokey person. I, I'm somebody who, who tries to extract a bit of humor out of the story that I'm telling by use of words or you know, juxtaposition of ideas rather than sitting down and trying to write a joke. I'm absolutely useless at doing that latter. I can't do it. But I can often 
I was going to say squeeze, but it's not, that's not the right word. I can often get humor to, uh, to come out of a speech just by thinking about the way I'm going to phrase a particular sentence. Let's right. Well, can you take me back to us another myth? I'm going to. I'm going to take you on to myth number four. I have a dry topic and I can't make it interesting. Now, I think this is something that every Toastmaster should do. They should find a very dry topic and give an entertaining speech about it. Because a topic may be dry in itself, but your presentation about that topic does not have to be dry. What Sean says is, the key is to find out why it matters to you, why it matters to the audience, and what you can be passionate about on this subject. Because communication is about getting other people to adopt your point of view, to help them understand why you are excited. So, you know, if your subject happens to be a lot about figures and numbers and facts, well, okay, write them down, give them a handout, and then talk about why the figures and the facts actually turn you on and make you want to get up in the morning. Well, Moira, yeah. Moira, as a recovering accountant, you would, of course, be speaking from experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can remember in the, in the, 90, in the 80s having to give a presentation to my main board, uh, and I was a relatively uh, junior manager. And, um, yeah, it was very much the dry subject. I, if I was to give that presentation now, I would have done it so completely different. The, the, only, the, way I, the reason I got away, from, away with it was that the particular subject was, do we do this or do we not do this? And my recommendation was that we did do it. And I'm glad to say that uh, the, the board took it on board and they did do it and it was very successful. So I got away with it. But I could... Uh, I, I could get away with it because I was telling them what they wanted to hear. Are you hmm. with me? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. So that worked. Now, even if your presentation is highly technical, it can still be interesting if you make the effort to make it interesting. Let's go on to myth number five. And I, I do like this one. And it's one that we, well, I would say most people do this particular thing. And that is, the myth is, I should hold all questions to the end of my presentation. <coughs> How often do you hear that? I will take questions at the end. Now, unless you have a pencil or paper or a very good memory, you think of something <coughs> at the beginning of the speech. And you want to ask a question about it. By the time you get to the end of the speech, your mind has been totally taken up with everything that happened since, and you've probably forgotten what your question was at the beginning. Secondly, the answer to the question is now taken out of context because 
you're not talking about that particular part of the speech anymore, you're talking about something else. Now, why do people want questions to be held at the end? And the reason is because we're afraid that we're going to lose control, that we, we, we control how many questions are asked if we leave it at the end. We can say, I'll take two or three questions, you know, and then you can cut it at the end. But is that the best way of doing it? I think if you say, I'll take questions as we go along, you can always say, well, I won't deal with that question now, but I will deal with it at the end. That's one technique for doing it. But if you give the answer then and there, it's going to be in context with what you're talking about at the time. Now, you remind me, Moira, you remind me of the House of Commons, which I've been, the proceedings of which I've been watching a lot recently. Mm -hmm. And it often has happened recently that a minister has come on to make a statement to the House. Mm -hmm. But the minister takes interruptions in the middle of the statement, yes. a number of them, and in some cases, many of them. Yes. And at a certain point then may say, I'm going to make progress now, so I'll take questions from other people later. So the idea being that, you know, if I carry on taking questions, I won't get the, the speech finished. But I thought it was a, it's a very, it's, if you watch it, it's a terrific example of a great way of handling questions to, to watch uh, parliamentary debates in the House of Commons during the Brexit, the Brexit um, yes. uh, uh, stuff that's going on. Yeah. Indeed, sir. Uh, I, I highly recommend that. It's actually good theatre apart from anything else. There's one other thing I wanted to say about this, and this is something that Craig Valentine uh, puts forward, and that is that you don't want to ever to finish your, you don't ever want to finish your speech with questions. Because what do people remember most? They remember what you said at the beginning of the speech, and they remember what you said at the end of the speech. And if you end on a question, well, you know what they're going to remember. What you want them to remember is what you want them to remember. And that is that you give them the closing statement, the closing message that you want them to take away. So that's it. Uh, we'll finish there. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Mario O'Brien, and I'll see you again next week. And I'll take you bye, bye for now. And if I can get a moment of peace and quiet. <laughs> this is Paul Amani thanking you very much for your attention and your interest. And I look forward to working with you, Moira, and uh, maybe Mr. Melanfi back next week. Who knows? With luck. So bye for now, folks. Bye-bye. The Talk Show for Talkers is published every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Dublin time. Check on our website, irishtalkers.com, for more information.